following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. Good morning again. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and if I haven't met you, I would love to. It's wonderful to be together. We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, and as Mike introduced last week, uh, he, he talked about this great phrase in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus turns His face, sets His face toward Jerusalem. Jesus more intently starts moving toward the cross. And so as you'll see even in the graphic above, that's what we've called this kind of continuing series from now until Easter is the journey to the cross. And on that journey, Jesus actually teaches His disciples about prayer. So we're going to look this morning at the passage in Luke where Jesus goes through the Lord's Prayer. Let me just give you a quick word before I read it. You will be familiar with some of this, and some of it may actually sound new. We say the Lord's Prayer every week, but we use the version from Matthew, and in Luke, the words are just a little bit different. Not a lot different, but a little different. And maybe you've even kind of wondered, what do I do when things are a little bit different between one gospel account and another? And I just want to say to you this morning that when things are a little different in one gospel account and another, it's actually an encouragement that the eyewitness accounts are true. Here's why. You know, when I come home and Joy and I have a conversation and she says, tell me about the conversation you had, the meeting you had today over lunch, and I say, it was really good. I think we got some good stuff done. And she says, yeah, but tell me what you said. And I say, it was really good. We got some good stuff done. Because I don't remember that kind of stuff. Now, if I ask Joy, how was your conversation? She will give me an exact play-by-play with facial expressions and exact wording and emotional mood. It'll be perfect because Joy has a video recorder in her head for conversations, and I have a couple of sticky notes. But here's the thing. That's the way that people, different people, relay information. And so when you come to different accounts of what Jesus said, it's very natural that one person would relay it a little bit differently than another person. In fact, that is an encouragement to us that both of those people were there. So I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer and some verses following, and we're actually going to focus a little more on the verses following, talking about why we pray. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 1 through 11, through 13, actually. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught His disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything." 
I tell you the truth, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word this morning, and we thank you for giving it to us. Lord, will you teach us not only how, but why to pray today. By the power of your spirit, we pray, and in Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, I grew up in the, uh, in the Sesame Street age, was a big fan of Sesame Street as a kid. And if you're close to my age, maybe even a little bit older than me, you remember that during the late 70s on Sesame Street, there was one particular character who was very interesting. His name was Mr. Snuffleupagus. Mr. Snuffleupagus was this kind of like elephant anteater thing. He was huge. And in the late 70s, when I was a kid watching uh, Sesame Street, the only person who ever saw Mr. Snuffleupagus was Big Bird. Now, that's, he's since kind of, you know, had his coming out party, and the world knows about Mr. Snuffleupagus. In fact, I think in 2014, he appeared on the uh, Today Show and met George Stephanopoulos, and they rejoiced in, you know, their mutual heritage. Um, but Mr. Snuffleupagus, when I was a kid, Big Bird was the only one who ever saw him. And so, everybody else, all the other characters, um, thought that Mr. Snuffleupagus was an imaginary friend. In fact, sometimes he would like knock stuff over and Big Bird would blame Mr. Snuffleupagus and people would get angry like, Big Bird, come on, we know you did it. Don't blame it on your imaginary friend. But you know, I think sometimes that's the way maybe if you, if you were to poll 10 people on the street and ask them about prayer, I bet you'd find a few people who said something like that. It's weird to talk to somebody you never see. It's kind of like you're talking to an imaginary friend. The National Day of Prayer was, um, was kind of invented and in, in established in the early 50s, right in the heart of the Cold War, in much of an effort actually to kind of contrast the religious United States with the atheistic Soviet Union. And not too long after that, actually, as a response to the National Day of Prayer, the American Humanist Society um, now celebrates on that same day the National Day of Reason. And if you look up even right now their website, I did this this week, you can pull it up, you can read about the National Day of Reason, and there's a big headline at the very top. It says, because reason works. The implication, of course, is prayer does not. So if you're a skeptic this morning, maybe there's a couple of reasons why you're a skeptic. One, maybe you know, it's just kind of like talking to an imaginary friend or two. I'm not even sure if prayer works. Or maybe you think, all right, maybe prayer works, but it doesn't work for the reasons you think it works. It works for the placebo effect. 
I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Radio Lab, this week, and they were telling this story about one of the, the producers has this gadget that she just is obsessed with, that anytime you get a bug bite, you can put this gadget on the bug bite, and it's like a little vacuum cleaner that sucks out all the bad stuff from the bug bite and immediately removes all the itching and swelling. And of course, everybody, pretty skeptical about this little gadget, did a bunch of investigating and found out really that the only reason this thing works is because of the placebo effect. The placebo effect is if you think it's going to work, it actually starts doing something because our brains have this amazing ability to do stuff to our bodies even or just because we think it's doing it. And maybe that's the way you think about prayer. Maybe if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, that's the way you've thought about prayer. It's talking to somebody that you can't see and that's weird or you're not sure if it works or maybe if it does work, it only works because you're believing in it hard enough. But if you're a Christian, even committed to prayer this morning, you probably also have some, some questions about why we pray. I remember as a little kid one time, I'd lost something in my front yard and I searched and searched and searched for it, and then it just kind of dawned on me, oh, I should pray about this. And I prayed, Lord, help me find this thing that I had lost. And like 30 seconds later, I found it. And I remember thinking, that, that must be the way prayer works, right? It's like this magic thing, these like magic words. It's a magic quarter that I put into that great cosmic vending machine, and I get whatever I want. That's what prayer is. Or maybe you've been thinking the question that really kind of dominates probably Christian, Christian thought about prayer. If God knows everything, why should I pray? I think the truth is, whether you're a skeptic or somebody who's committed to prayer, there's oftentimes a lot of confusion about why we pray. So that's really what we're going to dig into today. And here's the main point that I want us to look at. The main thing that I want you to take away today is that we pray in order to connect relationally to a God who listens to us, a God who loves to give us good things, and a God who truly longs to be with us. We're gonna actually look at those three things. So let's break them down one by one. First, we'll talk about having a heavenly Father who loves to listen to us. I don't know if your family has nicknames. My family has a lot of them. Um, ever since they were very young, one of my brothers has called my other brother Turdy Bird. It's not the nicest name, but it's stuck. Uh, all of our pets have often had nicknames. My father, we used to have a cat named Tuxedo because he was black and white. That made sense. But my father called this cat Hum. Let me, let me, let me give you a little bit of info here. So the cat's name was Tuxedo. Sometimes my dad would refer to the cat as my old kitty, and then he started saying, hi, my old kitty, when the cat would come in the room, which got shortened to homol kitty, which then just became hom. Super weird, which is why I just always called him Tuxedo. But the thing is, you know, we have nicknames for familiar things. All of our kids had nicknames when they were little. We called them these fun little baby names because it gives us a feeling of closeness. Now, the opposite is also true, right? For those of us who were raised in the South, we were probably told to address our elders as Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. These terms of respect, we wanted to put some distance between us and them. But I love what Sinclair Ferguson writes here. Listen to 
pastor and theologian Sinclair Ferguson, this is what he says. It is always a moving privilege when someone whom you admire takes you aside and says, I would appreciate it if you would no longer call me Mr., but simply John. But that privilege pales in significance, pales into insignificance by comparison with what we have here. Christ is giving us access to the presence of His Father, and He's saying to us, you may now speak to Him as I speak to Him, with the same right of access, with the same sense of intimacy, with the same assurance that He loves you. What's the first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth when His disciples say, teach us how to pray? And the first word He wants on our mouths as we address God in prayer It's Father, a word of intimacy, a word of deep relationship, a word of connection. It's a familial word. And Jesus says, when you pray, you start with that family connection. And what Jesus says in this illustration that He gives after the Lord's Prayer is that not only is God a Father, And not only is He our Father as He tells us to pray, but He's a Father who actually loves to listen to us. Let me just go through that illustration again. It's an interesting one. It's one with actually two kind of parallels in it, so let me see if I can explain it. The first parallel is the parallel between the neighbor, or the unprepared host, we'll call him, and the disciple. So here's the story again. A guy is, it's the middle of the night. He receives a visitor from out of town. In those days, of course, you know, you didn't come in at 8.32 and land and get your bags and come in and text somebody when you knew you were going to be there. Nobody really knew when you might arrive, so you could actually show up in the middle of the night. And because of that, everybody was supposed to be prepared to receive a guest, but this guy's not. And he's got a guest that comes in the middle of the night. He's unprepared. He doesn't have any food to give him. So he runs over to his neighbor's house, knocks on the door, and says, Hey, I got a problem. I need help. I got somebody that just arrived at my house, and I don't have anything to give him. Can I borrow a loaf of bread? And the neighbor says, Dude, or dude, stop. (laughs) It's the middle of the night. Do you know what time it is? Stop knocking on my door. You're going to wake up my kids. You're going to wake up my family. You're going to wake up the whole neighborhood. Go away. But of course, the unprepared host does not, does he? He continues to knock. He continues to ask. He says, please, 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 please. And Jesus says, you know what? Finally, because of this guy's impotence, impudence, or impertinence, the neighbor will finally answer him. That word is a really interesting one in Greek. It shows up nowhere else actually in the New Testament. It means boldness or shamelessness. This is a neighbor who is shameless in his desire to come and get what he wants. And that is actually what Jesus tells us that we as his disciples are supposed to be like in prayer. He says we are supposed to be just like this crazy, bold, shameless neighbor who asks for what he needs. If you are a parent, you have experienced this, right? Kids are typically pretty shameless when they have a question. The constant tugging on the pant leg, right? Dad, 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 dad. Excuse me, daddy. Excuse me, daddy. Excuse me, daddy. Excuse me, daddy. Over and over and over again until they finally get your attention and get what they need. Because kids are shameless. 
They're going to ask, and they're going to ask, and they're going to ask, and they don't really care if it's polite or if it's socially acceptable. They know what they want, and they're going to ask for it. And Jesus actually says that's the way that we're supposed to be in prayer. Ask, seek, knock, and continue to do so. And we can do so, we can be like that shameless neighbor because God is unlike that annoyed neighbor, okay? So he's setting up two parallels for us. One is actually a positive parallel, the disciple and the unprepared host. The other is a negative parallel, the annoyed neighbor and the Lord. In fact, uh, the reason why Jesus can say right after that, ask and seek and knock, is because God is exactly not like that, right? It would have been actually made sense for, for Jesus to say, listen, here's this guy, he's super annoying, so don't ask so often, right? Don't knock so just do it once, okay? Don't bother God, he's tired, he doesn't need you annoying him right now, but that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock, because this is who the Lord is. Let me just ask you this question. When you pray, do you, do you pray to a loving Father who wants to hear what you have to say? Or do you think that you're praying to maybe a scowling judge? Or maybe do you think that you're praying to, you know, an absentee kind of, you know, mystical force? Friends, when we pray, we are praying to one who knows and loves and cares for us and wants to hear what we have to say, who wants to hear what we have to ask, who wants us to seek him, who wants us to knock and wants us to continue doing it. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, we not only have a heavenly Father who loves to listen to us, but we have a good Father who loves to give good things. Let me read again verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him instead a scorpion? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus actually lays out another parallel here in this illustration, but this one's a little different. He is actually going from lesser to greater. So His argument is, if this is true, then if A is true, then B is even more true. And if there are those just regular human people who know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more so will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? Mike was telling me this week that he has been on a bit of an Adolf Hitler kick, <laughs> listening to and reading about it. Don't judge, you know, just a history buff. But he was telling me he's listening to this information about Hitler, and one of the things that turns out was so surprising is that Hitler was a really, really good uncle. Does that surprise you? Like, his nieces and nephews, like, totally adored him, and he doted on them, and he loved to give them good things. It's just kind of crazy. Like, you think, like, if there's anybody that you're like, 
you know, please, uncle, can I have an egg? You know, he's like, ha ha, here's a scorpion, right? It'd be Hitler. But no, even Hitler, like, wanted to give good things to the people he loved. Even bad people give good things to the people that they love. And here's what Jesus is saying. Okay, if that's true, then not only do we have a parent who's a good parent who likes to give us good things, but even more than that, we have the perfect father who loves to give us the best things. And the beautiful thing about this is that God, in his infinite wisdom, gives us even more than we can imagine to ask for. Again, not only did I grow up in the Sesame Street age, as a kid I grew up in the catalog age. And so this was great. Like when, it, when Christmas came around, when you were a kid my age, these catalogs would come in the mail. Big, thick books that, I don't know, these companies spent zillions of dollars printing and sent to every home. And so the Sears catalog would come, or the best catalog would come. And as a kid, it was so fantastic because you could make kind of the visual wish list for Christmas. I'd flip to the back where all the toys always were and get a big marker out and just start circling stuff. Here's all the stuff I want. I'd circle that. That's what I want. Flip the page. Ooh, that looks awesome. I'd circle it. It's kind of like if you've been, if you've, uh, been married recently, <laughs> you know, registering for your wedding. They give you the little, like, zapper gun, and you just go around and zap the stuff that you want. It's fantastic. And so, you know, oftentimes on Christmas morning, you know, you'd open a present and like, oh, there it is. That's what I asked for, and you got me what I asked for. How fantastic. But the one Christmas morning that probably sticks out the most in my memory is a Christmas morning that I walked in, and instead of seeing any of the things that I'd circled in the Sears catalog, I saw a big, beautiful, shiny bike, like a big kid bike. And I'm telling you, not only did I not ask for the bike, I, I, didn't, I, I had no understanding of even asking for it. I had no hope of asking for such a thing. It was so far beyond the realm of my imagination that I could receive such a gift and I was just blown away. I had gotten something, not only that I asked for, but that I couldn't even ask for. It was so much better than what I could ask for. And I think that's what Jesus is telling us here, is that we have a Father who not only doesn't give the wrong thing, but actually gives the better thing even than what we could have asked for. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us even in our prayers. The Holy Spirit acts as translator in praying maybe for what we should have prayed for, and the Lord actually gives us the better thing. We have a father who loves to dote on his children, to give them wonderful things, to give them so much more even than they could ask for. And then here's the third thing. We get to find out what that thing is, and it's this beautiful truth is that we have a loving Father who wants to be with us. Now, I don't know if you picked this up when we read it before, so I'm going to read it again. Listen again to the very end. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's the good gift that we should have asked for that we didn't? What's the overwhelming gift that we could have never even imagined to ask for? It's the Holy Spirit. 
And what is the Holy Spirit other than God's very presence with us? God tells us over and over in the New Testament that Jesus, when He leaves, is going to send His Spirit and that Christians have both in of themselves and among themselves God's very presence with them. Listen to some of these incredible passages about the Holy Spirit. Here's John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go. What a crazy statement that is, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Or how about Romans 8, 9 through 11? You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He continues, actually, in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, just like Jesus taught us to pray. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our, our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And then Jesus in Matthew 28, just as He is about to ascend His Father, says this, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us? He's with us by the presence of His Spirit. God loves to answer prayer with His own presence. It is the greatest gift that we could get from Him. We found the other day, um, actually, a few presents, Christmas presents, that my daughter Virginia had given to Joy, my wife, many, many years ago, and just kind of found them in the keepsakes the other day, and Joy actually pinned them up on, uh, on our bulletin board because they're so beautiful. They're coupons. Uh, these presents are, are, are coupons, and they're coupons for something like this. You know, uh, I will clean out your car with you for an entire day, or, you know, free hugs, free cuddle time, free day spent with my mom, and all of them, it's great, all, on all of them are written, never expires, <laughs> can be used multiple times and never expire. And they're so beautiful because the present she's giving is actually a present of presence. She's giving the present of her presence, and that's what God tells us that we receive in prayer, is that the present, the real gift that we get is His presence with us. What greater gift could we ask for than the presence of the Holy One, than the presence of the Creator of the cosmos, than the presence of the One who knows all of our ways in the deepest, most intimate places, the presence of the One who has gone to utter extreme lengths to come and lay down His life in order to save us. Friends, prayer is not talking to an imaginary friend. It's not going through the process of making our mind, you know, figure out how to teach our bodies how to do something even though there's really nothing real going on. 
It's not the, the magic coin that we put in the cosmic vending machine to get whatever we want out of it. Prayer is the time that we get to spend communing with a Father who loves us, a Father who loves to give us good things, and more than anything, a Father who longs to be with us. So, as I close in prayer, I want you to do this afterwards, is just spend a few moments asking your Father to commune with you in prayer, to teach you about what it's like to be with Him, and for us to just spend a few moments with our Father together. Let's do that now. Our Father, our Father who loves us, our Father who loves to listen to us, our Father who loves to be with us, our Father who loves to hear us asking, who loves to be sought after, who, who loves to open the door when we knock. We come to you now, not with anything to bring to you that you might need, not with anything except maybe our questions, our pains, our frustrations, our hopes, our dreams, our joys and excitements. And we come to receive not, not your physical gifts, but the beautiful gift of your presence. Lord, work in our hearts a deeper motivation to connect with you in prayer that we might know your deep love for us and your promise of your presence with us. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen.